Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And I think most of you know by then that I have been profoundly impacted by the death of my late husband. And my wish is that somehow we could do more in this country to actually teach people about suicide prevention. Today, I want to introduce you to a company that's doing just that. And it's meeting people who are having suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts at a place that is extremely important. If you consider that more than 40% of people who go on to die by suicide have actually visited an emergency room or spoken to a doctor. The problem is many times doctors don't know how to begin a conversation about suicidal thoughts. And that is the role that Jasper is playing. I'm so happy to be joined today by Topher Jerome. He is a person who is actually with lived experience going to tell us about how he came to a place of understanding the need for something like Jasper and why he works for the company today. Topher, it's so good to see you. Thank you for having me. I want to talk first about your lived experience, what kind of state you were in and what brought you to that state when you were considering suicide. It's a great question. You know, for many years, I was struggling with um, a combination of uh, substance use disorder. I was an IV crystal meth addict and struggling with lifelong um, mental health challenges. Started with childhood neglect issues, PTSD, and the sort of residual effects of that, um, I think, really played into my substance use history. And all of this are coupled with this, because of my history of being, I like to refer to it as a level five people pleaser, the desperate, desperate need for people's approval and disapproval felt life-threatening. So I say that because you paint the picture of um, somebody who's an alcoholic and later drug addict, doing things that cause shame, disappointing family and loved ones, feeling rejection, the unbelievable amount of shame that that was producing um, really was one of the key factors in my ultimately making my attempts. I've had several attempts. I had ideation early on in life, and it was always this thing that I like to say I had tucked away in my back pocket that I would do if things got bad enough. Ultimately, all of the stuff I just described got bad enough. And kind of my worst attempt was in 1999. And I wound up in a medically induced coma for a couple of weeks on a ventilator, was in the hospital for over a month. And that you would think would be enough to help me change my life. But, but I was seen and I was put into inpatient you know, I wasn't given really adequate tools, any tools, um, really. And I was discharged back to life. I wanted to desperately escape. Nothing had changed, right? And, and oddly enough, you've come close enough to the relief of the pain that an attempt provides that it might have even given you more impetus to try again. Right. right. But then the key in this was, during that one hospitalization, I made a promise to my family, and I'm incredibly close with my family, that I wouldn't do it. And ultimately, that saved my life, coupled with attempts at getting clean and sober. And, you know, that paints the background. Um, I 
worked in information technology for a number of years, um, quite a few years, clinical information systems, web development. And when I was continued to struggle with my own mental health and addiction issues, and back in treatment again. And I, when I got out, I decided I needed to change my life. And so after a period of unemployment, I actually went back to the hospital where I'd worked as an IT specialist and became a peer counselor. This whole idea that I could use my own lived experience with suicide and behavioral health issues to help another person. So I left this kind of career in information technology for this really underpaid profession, trying to help other people. And I moved on to, you know, supervising, developing, and managing peer support programs at different intensive psychiatric facilities in the state. And that was great. I did that for another 10 years. And when I was looking for a change, I wanted to see how could I merge my background in information technology you know, I'm kind of a geek, right? You know, my curiosity around that with behavioral health. Yeah. And so Jasper came along as a, as an opportunity for you to blend everything you essentially cared most about, it sounds like. I want you to describe what Jasper is and why it fills such an essential role in suicide prevention, Topher. You know, Jasper is, um, Jasper Health is an app designed um, with funding through the National Institute of Mental Health designed specifically to help people who are in the emergency department struggling with suicide. It contains suicide risk assessment, videos of people like myself who have lived experience with suicide, skills to help reduce distress in the moment and teach ongoing support, as well as a takeaway kit that helps people. We have a companion smartphone app. So people have access to everything they did in the hospital, as well as a distress survival guide, which pulls things from their their own stability plan that they create within the app and offers it up to them in a very simple, easy to use, step-by-step way to help reduce distress once they're, if they're out on their own after they've left, left the hospital. Is it available to the general public or do you have to access it through the emergency room? Um, at this time, you have to access it through the emergency room. We're also exploring other crisis settings and expanding you know, the initial target of hospital EDs with telemedicine and the COVID crisis, looking at other ways to offer it. Um, so at this time, it's not a public download. Let's begin by um, talking about what has been the disconnect in the emergency room, uh, beginning with just the wait Uh, A person walks into an emergency room in crisis and sometimes might be asked to wait, you know, 48 hours before they can get in. And then even then they're not guaranteed a bed. Sometimes the waits can be as long as, you know, five to seven days before they're actually um, given treatment. And so what is it that Jasper provides as sort of a short-term stopgap measure? And what you described is very much true. We hear it nationally from all of our healthcare system partners that the periods of waiting, of course, vary system to system. But I was talking to somebody yesterday at one of our partner uh, hospitals, and they were talking about they could have 19 people in the emergency department waiting to get into the psychiatric emergency services, which means that they're restrained in on a gurney waiting for care for hours and hours and hours with nothing to do 
no interventions, not knowing what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Um, it's traumatic in itself. So what Jasper does, one is it has many hours of content, distract, teach skills, provide comfort, as well as the, you know, the clinical component, which is the, the suicide status interview, which is based on Dr. David Job's CAMS, Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality, coupled with building a, a lethal means counseling, building their own customized crisis safety plan. So the, in itself, completing the um, suicide status interview, we've heard over and over that people say, this in itself is an intervention. They, they don't use those words, but you know, there's a decrease in agitation and distress simply by being able to share their own thoughts in words on a tablet. Sometimes people are, report being able to be more honest when talking to a computer. People say, this helps me organize my thoughts in a way that helps me so I'm more prepared to talk to my provider and to give some perspective. There's just been a level of stigma and shame in, in saying I'm having suicidal thoughts to another human and to a, 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 a virtual assistant, it seems to be somehow easier for people. Mm -hmm. So let's do a little demo of, of Jasper and what it is that somebody would actually see and hear and learn about. Excellent. Can you see my screen? Yeah, it's perfect. Excellent. So delivered on, uh, designed to be delivered on a tablet, the patient has already gone through some onboarding steps. I've fast forwarded uh, based on the, you know, doing a demo. But I do want to say before we get into this, that part of the opening sequence is a welcome video. It has Dr. David Jobes talking about welcoming the person. And then it has another person who has lived experience with suicide. And it's a back and forth play of validating the experience, one from the professional side and one from the person with lived experience, which truly represents the Jasper's vision of combining the best of science evidence-based practices with the wisdom of people who have lived experience. Mm -hmm. And it's seen throughout not only the app in itself, but throughout the development process, everything from research procedures to um, conducting research sessions, providing feed step, feedback on every development phase throughout the, um, the whole process. So anyway, they go through that. Um, I've seen people tear up and cry at that welcoming video um, just because people heard, feel like they're not alone. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that there were other people who felt like this. So anyway, they go through the opening steps. One of the things they are checked on is their level of distress and agitation at the onset, which you'll see why that is important later. And they're monitored throughout use of the app. They'll be pinged to report in on their distress and agitation. The app has four primary sections, as you can see. The shared stories component, which will take a look, dip into each of these comfort and skills, which is distress tolerance in the moment, as well as building skills they can use right in the emergency department and after they leave the suicide status interview, and the takeaway kit, which is where they set up their at-home app. In the shared stories section, we tried to build videos from a wide variety of demographics. Um, you know, and this is a growing library. Um, the idea is trying to provide 
faces that people can identify with. It's also broken out by topics. The first two, of course, are like distress survival in the moment, and then gets into my story, my wish for you, relationship to suicide, things that happen in the emergency department, going home, warning signs, what I do to say, well, reasons for living, creating a life worth living, right? And so as they go into any of these, they can choose video clips, which are two to four minutes long, from any one of the people you see below. If, for example, they listen to Kalichi's story and identify with her as an individual, they can click on her and then see all the videos that um, she, all the topics that she's spoken to. I'll play about a minute and a minute and 20 seconds of her story, sure. sense of what they're like. My life before the emergency department was pretend. I pretended to be okay. I pretended to be happy. I just tried to make everyone feel comfortable and I was breaking down inside. And, you know, when something traumatic happened, I could no longer pretend. I had to break the mask. And that led me to a suicide attempt. Once I was in the emergency department, I did make some decisions. I was really tired of living a lie, pretending that things were good when they weren't, um, really struggling with depression and just thoughts of self-harm constantly and stuffing everything down. Once I was in the emergency department, all of those feelings towards myself of hatred and disgust, um, you know, they kind of marinated and were really big. And once I left, I decided I need to find out what is it what are these lies I'm telling myself? Why am I saying I'm not a good person? Why do I believe that I don't belong here? What is going on to make me think that this person in front of me doesn't, isn't worth it? And I wanted to interrupt those thoughts because there's a reason I survived and I decided to figure out what that reason was. What my life now is I'm someone who is really happy that I'm still here. I I don't pretend that I'm happy anymore. When I'm not happy, I tell people. When I need to take care of myself, I do it. That gives you a sense. Beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm part of my role as I'm the director of lived experience integration with Jasper, and part of my role has been finding all of the people, doing the interviews, video editing. Um, so this has been a project that I'm very proud of. You know what else I just wanna say is that your the way that you've represented every um, race, every age, every you know economic status in those is is also borne out by suicide statistics. And I love that you actually reflect the reality of who it is that considers suicide because I think that many people believe that it's only people who are using or have lost all of their jobs or kind of on the outskirts of society and there's nothing further from the truth. So many people are like you, Topher. They have this kind of real perfectionistic, real pleaser type thing. So it's kind of a lot of, in the workplace, superstars who end up succumbing. Yeah, that's so true. And we've tried to develop a nice broad variety of people. Of course, we haven't hit everything. Um, yeah. And that is something that is a goal of Jasper Health is to continue to build that library out so that anybody can find somebody that looks like them or has some The comfort and skills section, there's some very basic things to distract, paced breathing, um, which will really help to reduce distress in the moment. And this, these are simple exercises that walk you through very simple breathing activities. 
the music fire, people more often than not go to puppies right away, which, um, <laughs> why not? Oh, you know, which is fascinating. And it's just, and to watch somebody who's in distress in the emergency department, I've done a lot of the bedside research throughout the development process and to actually see people watch that and then start to laugh, you know, their whole physiology is changing which is just beautiful. We've uh, been told that we need to include kittens. So forthcoming. Then we have a whole bunch of skills that are not only taught by people who have lived experience with suicide themselves, talking about how they use these skills, but it's also we have professionals. Um, we're fortunate enough to have Dr. Marsha Linehan, who's the mm. uh, developer of dialectical behavioral therapy, um, teaching this whole series on mindfulness. The um, we're just starting to build out a collection of videos for loved ones. You know, you take your level first, you're not alone. How do you help the care team? What are levels of care? What are inpatient units? What do I expect when they come home? You know, these, these type of videos. So we're just starting to build out that collection, which can be super helpful. And you'll notice all of these things have hearts. So you can, as a person goes through, they can select videos that will show up later in their, um, when they're building their stability plan. The last section I'll show you, there's two virtual reality agents. One is a human figure and one is this animated object. And it goes through, and it's just like a ch chat. It's gonna go through and ask people questions about themselves and what their experience is. They have the idea, they rank it, and then they can describe what it is that's most painful or what you find most stressful. And it goes on through this whole interview into the lethal means counseling and the stability plan. Once they have completed all of this information, there are summaries. And this is super important for the people providing care. The um, care planning report, it's self-reported risk of suicide then there's, these are key findings from the suicide status interview, which gives the provider information to help them make their disposition decisions. It is not meant to replace the clinician, but it's meant to augment the information they have. And it's great to have patient data provided in numerical facts, graphed, you know, the distress and agitations graphed, and it's super, super helpful. The other piece that um, is the interview summary, every piece of information that the patient has entered into the system is easily displayed here. And this can be super important for like the, the social worker who comes in to do a more thorough assessment, right? And they can say, you know, I understand that you've been hospitalized before for substance use problems. Tell me more about that, right? You know, so it can, it's not again to replace, but it can be the tool that they can use to jump for conversation pieces to jump off of, and it can save them a lot of interview, a lot of time throughout their process. Tell me about um, where you are in the implementation of attempting to try to get this into every emergency room. Um, we're currently um, doing pilot sites with healthcare organizations around the country, a couple of very prominent organizations, and so they're paid pilots where organizations pay us to implement this over a period of time. So we're at the beginning phases of that. I think we're at like seven or nine sites 
So very beginning of the commercialization implementation process. We're also con working, continuing our clinical trials, which preliminary results from the first half before COVID hit and we had to stop everything were very promising. Very promising results in, again, decrease in um, distress and agitation, feeling um, increase in really evidence-based practices that they have had the risk assessment, the safety planning, the connection with people who have lived experience, given skills and tools that they, evidence-based skills and tools that they can use after they leave the hospital. Do you foresee a time when as a collective hospitals will be coming to you rather than you going to them? Yes, ideally. Um, we have yeah. generated a lot of interest on a national level through various conferences we've attended and presented at. People are saying, we need this, we need this now. Because one of the issues is, especially, you know, you get into rural areas and providers in rural hospitals may not know what are the evidence-based practices and how do I deliver? Yeah. How do I have a conversation about lethal means, right? And yeah. so this gives a standardized way to deliver an intervention that they aren't doing. And it helps the, the staff feel like they're actually doing something that's contributing to the well-being of the person rather than just holding them, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. I know there's probably people listening that would love to learn more. So how do they get in touch with you, Topher? If you go to our website, which is Jasper Health, there's no E in Jasper. So it's J-A-S-P-R health.com. And there's a link in there to ask for information. And that would be the most direct way. And we'll respond to you. I tend not to do a lot of apps around mental health because there's a million that approach. But I think that this is so substantial. I think that the execution is so brilliant that I'm so happy to support you and your efforts. So thank you so much for bringing Jasper to my attention. Thank you so much, Sheila. It's been a pleasure. If you want to find out more about Jasper, again, you can contact Topher Jerome uh, directly through the website, or we'll have the links at our website at beyondwellwithsheilahamilton.com. Wherever you listen, please give us a thumbs up. We're so grateful to have you as one of our passionate listeners who want to improve mental health for all. I'm Sheila Hamilton, make it a great day.